The gospel this morning is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth and, there, uh, and left there and moved to Capernaum, beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Today I want to talk about headline stories. Yesterday's headline story in the Arizona Republic was Hero to Zero. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a great headline in terms of promising news, hopeful news. Hero to Zero, Arizona falls silent on climate policy. Well, the headline caught my attention, and it made it sound like we were kind of abject failures. And we are failing, most likely, in cer certainly in terms of caring for the creation in, in ways that we could do better. However, this is what we're in the details of this headline. Most in Arizona are worried about climate change. That's from a poll. That's helpful information. Most in Arizona want action against climate change. That's also helpful information. That's just some of the details. And then the Republic has a climate change panel uh, where they examined threats and solutions. And they had several solutions. And so there is more to the headline in the details. A headline may help to give you the big picture or to capture your attention, but underneath it are really some important things to know. Let's not just read the headlines, let's get into the details. But what if I were to tell you that there's another headline this morning, a different headline, one that perhaps puts all headlines to shame. This is the headline that I read this morning, and you just heard me read it. This is what it is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Repent. That is the headline. And for many... That is good news. Here are some of the details. The Messiah will one day judge the poor with righteousness. And Matthew quotes from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. This is what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about. And he spoke this word on behalf of the Lord God. The Lord gave Isaiah this message. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel 
as a symbol of my covenant with them. So the Messiah, the Messiah is a gift from God that is established in this covenant with God. And the Messiah will come to judge the poor with righteousness. That means the poor will be made right. Isaiah 42, 6. And then there's more good news under this headline. The blind will see, and the captive will be set free. In verse 7 of chapter 42, you will open the eyes of the blind, this Messiah. He will open the eyes of the blind. He did that, didn't he? You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. The Messiah has come to help the blind to see and to release the prisoners from the prisons, to set them free. This is good news if you're a prisoner. And then he says this, the people who have been living in darkness will no longer need to live in darkness. Do you remember the references to the region of Zebulun and Naphtali? Well, that comes from Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. We read this oftentimes on Christmas Eve in our Christmas Eve worship. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, that time of death and dying, will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This is good news for those who have been fearing the despair and the death. This is good news for those who have been alone, sitting alone in darkness. This is good news, not for everyone, but this is good news. people of Israel had been awaiting the coming of the Messiah. They knew that one day God would come to his people as the Messiah, and he would reign as their rightful and expected king. But that's not all. His reign would extend even beyond Israel. He would reign over the whole earth, over all nations. This is the headline story. Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. It is near. It is coming. So what does it look like? What does the kingdom look like? What are the details? How do we know where God is working? Well, one of the ways to discern God's kingdom is by identifying your passion. I'm going to show you three things that I think can be helpful in terms of identifying uh, where you can see the kingdom of God working in front of you. The first one is your passions, your loves. What do you love? What do you have a passion for? 
What gets you up in the morning? What wakes you up at night? Maybe it's frustration over injustice, or, or maybe it's love for people, or maybe it's wanting to bring um, integrity into institutional systems. What is it that wakes you up, that gets you up? Well, one of the things that I would say is that I have a passion for is that I love food, as if you couldn't tell. I love food. What I really love is preparing food for my family and for friends. I've had some family members, some friends, who have told me, you know, you should open a restaurant. No, it's not that good, believe me, number one. Number two, I would never open a restaurant. I would not enjoy that one bit. That would turn my love of, of preparing food for the people that I love into a business transaction. I'm just not interested in doing that. I'm, I'm not wired that way. Some of you are. Go for it. But I'm not. And so for me, my passion is serving food, serving people, loving people with a, a tangible item that I can make for them. Identifying your passion, identifying your loves can help in the process of discerning how you can join God in the work that God is already doing through his kingdom as it comes here on earth. What are you passionate about? What do you love? What do you love to do? Here's another glimpse of the kingdom as it breaks into our world. In Matthew 25, there is a story that Jesus tells about a king. And he says that, as he shares the story, then the king will say to those on his right hand, because he separated those on the right and from those on the left, then he'll say to the ones on his right hand, the righteous ones, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me uh, clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. The righteous begin to ask the king in this story, King, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? When did we ever see you in prison and visit you? When did we find you ill and care for you? We don't remember ever doing that for you, king. Do you remember the king's reply? The king replies, O righteous ones, whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. You did it to me, the king said. Thursday evening, Patty and I were invited to a virtual fundraiser for world hunger through the uh, Lutheran Church, through LCA. And... Um, uh, it was an exciting event because it was co-hosted by uh, Bishop Eaton, our presiding bishop, 
and Rick Steves. And I have to admit, the only reason I really wanted to watch it was because of Rick Steves. I know I'm a PBS nerd. I love his travel shows. And um, you, you may not know, but he's a Lutheran. And so he's made some commitments to world hunger himself. And one of these commitments is to help support um, the church's work with hunger issues. And so during this um, virtual fundraiser, he shared some helpful information, um, and as did the bishop. And one of the things that they shared was that because of this pandemic, that global hunger, they're anticipating global hunger will most likely double in the next year. And because of that, we need to raise additional resources to help uh, fight this issue of hunger. And in particular, they were given a, I don't know if it was a foundation or some person, challenged them to raise $250,000 that this foundation or person would match up to $250,000. Well, I don't know what it was more recently, but I know as of Thursday night when I signed off, um, that they had raised over $200,000. And that money will go 30% to local hunger issues here in the United States and the Caribbean, and 70% will go globally around the world. That's how they're dividing this up. Rick Steve showed some clips from a new PBS documentary that he has done called Hunger and Hope. And there's stories of, really stories of hope, how people have come out of hunger and have um, not just been given food, but have been given new livelihoods, uh, new opportunities as farmers, as sowers, and um, where their families no longer are experiencing hunger because of the work that World Hunger has done to, to help support them. Some really powerful stories. And one of them he shared was from Ethiopia. Another one he shared was from Guatemala. And in these particular stories, hunger is being eradicated by small steps. This is some of the detail about the kingdom of heaven breaking into the world. And it happens because of possessions. Not the possessions so much of the poor farmers, although that becomes important, but the possessions that we, the body of Christ, the church at large, the possessions that we have. And in case you think I'm talking about money, I'm not talking just about money. As a matter of fact, sometimes money is perhaps the least important of the possessions that we have. Some of the other possessions besides that are intellectual capital. How many of you have friends who know a lot about hunger that are experts on hunger issues? That is an important resource. Physical capital. Some of you actually have time to help teach people or to help care for people, whether it's at a food bank or whether it's uh, at a soup kitchen. So there's physical capital, your time and your presence. There's also a relational capital. Who are you in relationship with that is experiencing issues of hunger? And then there's also the spiritual capital. 
Are we praying for um, hunger to, to decrease? Are we praying for hunger to be conquered? And so when we think about our possessions, we have lots of different kinds of possessions and lots of ways to give. So in addition to your passion, what are the possessions that you have? You may not have all of those, but you have some of those. And what passion and possessions can you put together? The third step is by identifying a problem locally, around you and me. What does God want us to start doing as his church? For example, to deal with hunger. What is the problem of hunger in Scottsdale, in Chandler, in Phoenix? As we begin to discern the problem, God will also show us the possessions that we have, the passions that people have. And so this is a comprehensive way of trying to look at how God's kingdom is breaking into the world. What's a problem that you would like to fix? What are the possessions that you have to share? And what is your passion that relates to this? These questions give us a good picture of where God is working and how, how you can join in that work. So I invite you, I encourage you, I challenge you to begin to ask yourself these questions. What is your passion? What possessions do you have? And what is the problem that you want to fix? I want to encourage you also to be praying about this to discern where God is calling you to serve. But we don't want you to serve alone. This is not an individual challenge. This is the challenge that we want you to be in community with. We were made to live and to work together. Now, I know some of you don't believe that. I have one um, friend that, who's told me repeatedly, well, Pastor, I, I, I don't need anyone to serve with, I can just serve on my own. I can do that very well. Uh, don't put anybody with me. I just would rather do it all on my own. I'll just take care of it myself. Some of you may resemble that. But let me just say that there's a reason that Jesus first called Peter and Andrew. And then he called James and John, you know, the sons of thunder. And after that, he called Matthew, the tax collector. And then he invited Martha and Mary to tag along. And you see, what Jesus was doing was he was building community. He knew that the work that he was doing would not continue if he did not develop community. So in addition to the mission, we also need community. So who can you visit with about your passion, about your possessions, and about a problem? Who can you share that with? We are not built to be alone. Just to ask yourself how you've been doing during this sheltering in place phase. <laughs> Some of you have broken out, <laughs> and others of you are threatening to. I mean, it's difficult to be alone. 
And that's basically what we have been doing. And we will have to continue in some respects. But we can still be together, like we are today, virtually. We can still be in community. We still are community. You are brothers and sisters in Christ with me. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. Now, the last thing I want to mention is something that I've heard a lot from many people this past week. And I think God must want me to share a word about this because I have heard it from so many people. And that is the word fear. Some of you have shared your fears with me, your fears of this disease. And many others of you have told me that you are tired of being afraid. I was studying this concept of fear biblically. And I was surprised and encouraged because as I studied, studied the, Greek, the Greek root of the word for fear, I figured out what its opposite, its antonym is. You think that maybe it might be like courage, right? But before courage, there was something else. The opposite of fear is the Greek word philia which is a word in Greek that means love. You maybe learned that in, in school because Philadelphia, the city, is named with that word in its context, the city of brotherly, and today we would say sisterly love. Philia. Philia is love for our brothers and sisters. And that is the actual exact opposite of fear. So let's not let fear consume us. Let's not go crazy throwing off fear. Let's instead serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's serve our community and our world. Let's love one another with that love that we are called to love with, the love for our brothers and sisters and for their good care. Headlines are really important. They capture our attention. They give us a synopsis of the information. But if you really want to know what the headlines mean, we've got to get into the details. So the details that I would like to ask you about today is how is God calling you to serve this church? this body of Christ. How is God calling you to serve? What is your passion? What are your possessions? And what is the big problem? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for the gift of passion and for all the other blessings that you bestow upon us. Help us to Focus in on the problem so that we may figure out how we can serve with you. Thank you for these opportunities to love our brothers and our sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.